0: Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music with a gobsmackingly brilliant piece and a conversation with the man for whom it was written. There's not so much great music written for solo horn or horn and piano by great well-known composers. So when I first heard Billy Strayhorn's "Sweet" for the Duo on BBC Radio 3 I was gobsmacked. Here was a full-fat, brilliant work, virtuosic, raw, emotional, by a well-known composer, writer of Take the A-Train, Lush Life and loads of jazz classics with his writing partner Duke Ellington. great piece and it was seemingly not on anyone's radar. I wanted to track it down, find the music, see if I could play it and then I hit a kind of jackpot and found I could talk to one of the men for whom it was written. Willie Ruff, horn player, bass player, composer, writer, filmmaker, Yale professor, linguist, a multi-talented legend. I'm extremely excited for him to be joining me. First up, I asked Willie a little bit about his life and what music means to him.
1: Okay. Well, music means life to me. I was exposed to it at a very, very early age in the segregated South in the United States. So my first music teacher was a white boy. I am African-American, and this boy was about 11 years older than me and lived directly across the street from my house, which had no electricity or amendments like that. But he had the habit of setting up his drums and running an electric cord from inside the house so he could play Count Basie records and play along with his full set of drums like Joe Jones, one of the most exciting of the 20th century drummers. So he taught me how to read music and he taught me about that there was mathematics in it and that the math was precise. And then I learned how to apply all those things to the staff where their tones rather than just the beats of the drums that way. And so we became closest friends for life. And he enlisted in the Army when I was maybe eight or nine or something like that. And we kept up book a written correspondence. He was in the Battle of the Bulge and was captured by the Germans and put in a concentration camp. Wow. So so
0: that was the beginning of my music exposure. You know, normally I can describe someone as a horn player or a writer or mm-hmm. a musicologist or an academic, but you are all of these things <laughs> and more. Thank you. I would say that that my real opportunity in music
1: came after I enlisted in the Army at fourteen fourteen one four
0: which is which is younger than you're allowed to join the Army, right? That's
1: right, right, but i was I was starving. My mother had died in Alabama, and I went north to Evansville, Indiana, to live with my father, who was not very successful in finding the right kind of work that would feed a growing child. Then the two of us lived together there, and I told him of my decision. To go and join the army, and he said, "Ask me uh, since when was the army hiring children?" And I said, "Whenever one gets, you know, hungry enough or hard up enough to go and and do that." So I I took basic training in Fort McClellan, Alabama, and uh, I very soon got an opportunity to join the band in Fort Francis E. Warren in Wyoming, way out on the prairie. And it was there that I got fired from the drums because a group of older, more seasoned musicians, great drummers, got shipped into our outfit as well. And the bandmaster said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to let you go. But I said, sir, you always said if we had just one good French horn player in this band, it would sound like a million dollars. It would sound so much better. And I said... And I can learn how to play that. He said, are you crazy? It takes <laughs> years to learn how to play that instrument badly. Right. So I begged him and said, well, give me the horn and the book and I'll go into the boiler room with with the furnace. And I'll spend all of my time down there learning out of that book. And after a while, I kind of figured it out and was able to m- meet the standards that were required from that. And then the, the this officer, the warrant officer, I think his wife put him up to it, but she said, That child is too young to be here. You'd better get some legal proof that he is
0: that. Oh.
1: Right? So he sent to the health department in Alabama where I was born, and it, he put that paper down on his desk and says, Is this you? And I said, well, I'm afraid the jig's up, sir. Yes, it is me. And he says, Does your mama know where you are? I said, My mama's dead. That's why I'm here. And he said, Well, in that case, I'm not going to rat you out, but things will change. Instead of the $75 you're paid per month, You will get $5 at the beginning of each month. Yes, you will get $5 and the rest will go into soldier's deposit, which pays a 5% interest. When you get out, you will have a nest egg. He said, that is my order number one. My second order is that you're going to finish high school this year. And don't tell me it can't be done because I did it myself. (laughs) And then after you finish high school, you're going to get some college credit. I also did that myself. So I know it can be done. And that was our arrangement until by some quirk of fate, I happened to read a newspaper article in a magazine called Downbeat, famous jazz magazine. Mm-hmm. And in it was a an interview with the famous and just formidable Charlie Parker. Yep. And the interviewer said, Bert, if you could do with the next several years, whatever you wanted to do, if you had the wherewithal, what would you do? And Bert said, that's easy. He says, I have gone about as far as I can go on my own. He says, I have not studied really formally. And he says, there is a German composer living in the the eastern part of the United States and teaching composition and music theory at Yale. And he said, I would go there Sit at his feet and learn me some music. Mm. well I'd never heard of Paul Enderman, the man he was talking about I'd never heard of of Yale as a place of distinction for for music that way for a lot lot of things, but i I had no sense of you know Yale and I wrote to them and because I could get out of the military by that time and they, they invited me to come for an audition, and by some miracle, they let me in. It broke my heart that Charlie Parker never showed up at Yale. I thought that he might possibly come and we could both <laughs> sit at the feet of Paul Hindemith and learn us some music, you know.
0: You did and he didn't. I did, yes.
1: And I got exposed to Paul Hindemith, who changed my
0: world. And this is just after the Second World War, so the 46, yes. 48
1: kind of time? That was, actually, it was 48. Well, 47, yeah, which was the year the United States is began integrating its military. All of the experiences that I had up until that time was entirely segregated. Was it just with black people?
0: Yeah. So you're learning the horn sounds like a, a fantastic advert for self-directed education. And then you learned the bass on top of the horn, right? You met Dwight Mitchell. One day, it was at Christmas time, so everybody
1: went home for furlough on Christmas. I had just left home, you know, so I didn't want to go back into then. And Mitchell, he didn't want to go to Florida either for some reason. So he came into the rehearsal hall one day and he saw me just playing with the bass. And he said to me, look, if you're interested in playing that instrument, I can show you how to do it. But I said, but you're a piano player. How would you know how to play the bass? He says, well, I've been watching bass players ever since I've been in the Army. And I've learned a few things. He said, I can teach you, you know, and he took a crayon and marked off spots and things where I would could go searching. That was on a Tuesday. On the next Saturday, we played on the radio. <laughs> And we played all the things you are, which is not an easy tune to play on the beach,
0: especially if you've been only doing it for four days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. So we're here today to talk about Billy Strayhorn yes. and the suite for the duo. Yes. So take us to 1967 and tell me the story about Strayhorn's apartment and lamb chops and... Wiping, <laughs> wiping the grease off the mouth with your red wine. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: Strayhorn was just the most unusual person. It was just, you know, just a, he was a fabulous cook. And he always had this, something on the stove, you know. Ellington could not have been Ellington without him. And they were like two peas in a pod. They talked on mm-hmm. the telephone just about every day, sometimes more than once, and they could work on a piece together, you know, and one would, you know, offer a phrase and then the other one said, and then we ought to hear something like this. And then Duke or, or Strave would say, yeah, and, and, and let's try this, you know, in a, in a minor key or whatever, whatever that was. And so he came to the Hickory House which was a fine dining restaurant. It was the, the mix of soci- of the society coming to that place because the food was so outstanding. It had a Chinese chef and it had the best steaks aged. You know, you see them hanging up in the refrigerator, you know, and uh, its food was just... Stu- and, and there was a guy around at the time, a British, uh, Commander Whitehead, who advertised Schweppes. Do you remember him?
0: (laughs) Uh, No, I don't remember him. I'm too busy facing the dilemma of having steak or Chinese. (laughs) Yeah, it was just fabulous. And
1: Ellington used to come in there all the time. He and the owner were friends. I don't think he was ever allowed to pick up a check because he would tell the owner about some young group and he had introduced us, which is how we got the job. You see, we had this fantastic advantage of being just two people playing three instruments. Yeah. And that just meant then that we were, as a group, we were reduced to the irreducible minimum as an ensemble. So (laughs) that meant that we got to open shows for the creme de la (laughs) creme. We opened for Cal Basie, We opened for Miles Davis. We opened for Duke Ellington. We opened for everybody, you know. And uh, it was just Wonderful thing to find that kind of opportunities. And and we were privileged to do it around the world, you know. And We can do our show in, in Russian, in Chinese, in German, yeah. in
0: French, in yeah. Italian,
1: you know. So uh, we've lived on the fat of the land.
0: It's fantastic. And so the, the duo then is you on bass and horn. Right. And Dwight Mitchell on piano. That's right. He's your friend from the army. That's right. Who you first played bass with. That's right. All right. So back at the Hickory House, I'm going to have steak tonight and come back for Chinese tomorrow. <laughs> and, and then Duke Ellington and Strayhorn come in one evening. Yes. And uh, Stray
1: took out you know a piece of paper and made lines on it and uh, started scribbling. And then Duke went out of town, but Stray kept coming. And then he started to bring manuscript paper. And then he said to me, "Say, Willie, what are you doing Tuesday, th- Thursday afternoon, about three o'clock? I've sketched out some ideas for a piece for, for the horn and the piano. You come over, and you and I will play it together. And then when you, when we get it down that way, then we'll let the real pianist play it." And Mitchell came over, and it was it was just. And every time we come to Strayhorn's house, Ellington would call, and we'd play him a part of it. And Ellington would make a comment about, you know, well, try that phrase, but in a little bit higher key, you know, and or yeah. or maybe lower, or just playing with color and just lyrical music
0: making. It was it was just a heavenly time to make music. Did you know Strayhorn well before this?
1: Not well. I knew him because he had hired me to play he liked to play ensemble music other than Ellington's orchestra. he'd put together maybe an octet yeah. and hire musicians from new York and he always invited me to come and join w- with my horn never i would n- never play the bass with him, but he liked the horn he was really crazy and and Ellington would always call you know in the middle of the afternoon with out from on the road like like that and that was the way the the piece took shape it was a collaboration between Duke and Strayhorn and, and me
0: and it's you know it's a piece that comes at the end of Strayhorn's life that's and right he'd he was dying come out of, he'd come out of hospital that's right did he know he was dying did I you know so. he
1: was dying it, I think he did yeah and then when he went into the hospital he just just said, you know, I I won't be here long, you know, yeah. And sure enough, he did. And what Duke did was he gave a program to celebrate Strayhorn's life and in, in music at Lincoln yep. Center. The point was to establish in Strayhorn's name a scholarship mm-hmm. for an individual who had promises. And guess who got the first one?
0: Oh, I have no idea. Went and Oh, really? Wow! Yeah, fantastic. And, and so, all of,
1: all of Stray's friend yeah, and all of Strayhorn's friends were at that concert. Yeah, you know, and it it featured Willie the Lion Smith. It featured Carmen de Lavalade and Jeffrey Holder. These fabulous exotic dancers, uh-huh. you know. Tony Bennett came and sang, and nobody knew who's going to go on next. After every piece or during while the band's playing, Ellington would just slip behind the curtain off stage and tell everybody who's, and Lena Horne, he said, Lena, your audience awaits you after this number. And Willie the Lion Smith said, you see, see how he's doing it? He's got a million dollars worth of talent back here and nobody knows who's going <laughs> on next. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I bet that doesn't happen very often. No. no, was that the first time that the suite got played in public? I'm not sure. Mitchell and I probably
1: played it in public somewhere because we were always out on concert tours. And I'll tell you what, what what happened at that concert. Dizzy Gillespie was out of town, but he he and Strayhorn were just such close friends and everybody had so much respect for Strayhorn. Dizzy was late getting to the concert and he got there just before we played that suite mm-hmm. and he ran backstage and he says, man, I didn't know you guys could do that or that Strayhorn had written that for you all. He said, we got to, we got to do some stuff together. And we did, you know, we started playing concerts around the world.
0: So Strayhorn was dying and, and The Suite, it's a very personal piece, right? I love the way, by mm-hmm. the way, that it's that it's ended up being called The Suite for The Duo. Not Suite for Horn and mm-hmm. Piano or Suite for Duo, but That's Suite right. for The Duo. That's right. You no, know, it's very specifically Absolutely. you guys. That's right. That's right. And I love that. But at, at some stage, it was going to be called North by Southwest. Is that right? I don't. That's been
1: mentioned, but I don't know how much truth there. There was uh-huh. in it, but, you know, because all of that Stray was doing in in the privacy of his world, which wasn't good
0: at the time. But, um, I've read that he considered himself as a classical artist, certainly when he was younger, mm-hmm. and that the racism in American society at that time closed those doors to him, as they did to you, I think. Yes. And the suites are very kind of classically based piece, and this choice of mm-hmm. horn as the instrument for this mm-hmm. seems to sort of speak to more sort of classically minded roots. What do mm-hmm. you say to that? Well, I think you're right about that it's it is classical rooted but it it's you know it's
1: still got that got that thing, <laughs> no doubt about where it came from and who was doing? It.
0: Do you do you want to talk a little bit about the the racism that you faced as a musician coming out of the army? Well, it's
1: simply that there was no opportunities for the symphonic players. Yep. you know, the first black ever hired by a major symphony orchestra was in Boston. Mm-hmm. Ortiz Walton, who's a fabulous player, and of the New York Philharmonic, still only has one unless something had been added there. But Chicago was especially hostile.
0: Yeah, You were going to go to Israel and play at one stage. That's right.
1: And that's when I happened to turn on the television in 1955 after I'd finished school and Lionel Hampton's band was playing. And the the camera panned over to the piano and there sat Dwight Mitchell. And I screamed and jumped up and call the Ed Sullivan show on telephone. Yeah, you could do that. Yes, you do. Then. Yeah. You know, yeah. You couldn't do it now. I don't think. But anyway, I said to the stage manager backstage, "Could you take a, a message to the piano player?" And he said, "The band's just coming off the stage now. Shall I call him to the phone?" And I, I said, "Yeah." And he called him to the phone, and I didn't say a word. What I did was saying. It was the, the melody, or the bass melody he taught me to all the things you are <laughs> in the army. Yeah. And he screamed out, rah rough. And I, he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm about to immigrate to Israel because I got offered a job in the orchestra there. And Eric Leinsdorf had auditioned me in, in Scarsdale, New York. And... Len Mitchell said, "Well, Israel's a great place." He said, "We go there all the time. We're playing in Bridgeport, Connecticut, you know, two towns down from where I was. He said, "Bring your horn and sit in with the band. We we'll maybe if we can get you in the, in the band, then we can start building our duo and and take it from there." And we did. And uh, Lionel Hampton hired me and we spent the the rest of the summer working up a repertoire. We were on our, on our own after about six months on the road with Lionel Hampton.
0: Cool. The wonders of television. Yeah, that's right. So the suite then, I'm wondering how much of what we hear in the recording is specified by Strayhorn and how much of it is you guys taking what he's given you as a as a basis? Well, every
1: note was written. Wow, okay. Every note,
0: we didn't add any music to what he had in mind there. Even in those those fistfuls of, you know, that thunderous piano writing. That's, yeah. that's, all, that's all straight on.
1: That's hard. on paper. That's on paper, yeah. He was wonderful at that. Amazing. I've heard some British announce try to make a link between the Benjamin Britten Serenade for Horn mm-hmm. and Orchestra. But I don't think that it's inspired to I think he heard these two instruments in his head and and proceeded to treat it the way he thought it ought to He'd like to hear it the way he'd like to hear it.
0: Yeah. I don't hear any Britain in it necessarily, but what I do hear at the start of the, the last section hmm. sounds a little bit like Hindemith to me. Oh. Well, oh in the yeah. sort of that fanfare at the start yeah. of the third or fourth section. I wondered if you if you hear that, and and if you and Stray talked about your connection with him at all? Not at
1: all, no, not at <laughs> all,
0: <laughs> no, no. He... Well, Bango is my theory.
1: <laughs> no, he was a most remarkable person. I I miss him.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's probably a lovely way to finish. Yes, I think so. It's been a privilege, Willie. Thank you for your time. Pleasure is all mine. Okay, then. Good luck. What a privilege that was to be able to speak with Willie Ruff, one half of the duo for whom Billy Strayhorn wrote his suite for the duo. Let's have a listen. It's a piece of great intensity, raw and emotional, at the same time as being really hard to play and virtuosic, but as with all great pieces, the virtuosity is always in the service of music making here. I love it, it's a gobsmacking piece and one that horn players everywhere should be rushing out and learning to play. Click on the links in the show notes to have a listen and then tell me what you think. You can send us a quick voice message or a comment at cacophonyonline.com or of course there's always social media. If you'd like to support Cacophony financially, you can. There's a link to coffee.com where you can do that. Please share the podcast widely with everyone you know. Come back for more next time. Thanks for listening.